Well, welcome to Grace, everybody. It's good to see you this weekend. Welcome everybody watching online at home or at one of the live sites. And uh, it is a blast to be together and to celebrate Mother's Day together. So thanks for making uh, this stop here at Grace part of your weekend celebration. We're going to be uh, talking about kind of parenting all weekend and kind of celebration of Mother's Day. And we're going to be having that conversation in the context of a series that we started last weekend called Right Now. So uh, last weekend, Pastor Ryan uh, kicked off this series, and we are kind of kind of kind of spend kind of our summer semester uh, talking about a lot of these ideas that that God has us where we are right now for a reason to do something through us. Doesn't mean that I'm going to spend forever where I'm at right now, but in this slice of time, in this moment of my life, uh, God has me here and wants to accomplish something through me. And last weekend, uh, Pastor Ryan talked about this idea that, that if I buy into some myths that are out there, I'll miss the right now. And he talked about three of these myths. One, one is uh, the, the, the myth that he calls the arrival myth. And it's this idea that one day when things in my life play out the way that I dream that they will, when I'm finally out of school, when I finally retire, uh, when I finally meet somebody, when I finally make enough money, like someday I'm going to arrive someplace and then my life is going to be what I want it to be. And he said, if we buy into that myth, we'll miss kind of the wonder of where we're at right now. The, the, the second myth is kind of the opposite of that. It's called the nostalgia myth. It's the idea that, that back then is when my life was great, right? Back when the kids were little, back when, when we first got married, back when I had that job, back when I was in high school, back in the glory days. They'll pass you by. Glory day. You know, you twinkle the young girl's eyes. So you, like that idea, like back then, uh, that's when my life was what I wanted it to be. And if I'm always longing for the back then, then I'll miss the right now. And then the last myth he talked about was the filtered life myth. And this is the social media myth that, that when we look at our social media, we look at our Snapchat story or Instagram or Facebook or whatever, when we're looking at those things, we're seeing the highlights of each other's lives. And that's all great, actually, by the way. It's no big deal. It's just the way that it works. And if we look and say, well, when I look at your filtered life and then I look at my unfiltered life, your life looks so much better than my life, right? You are having so much more fun. You are on the beach, I know, because I can see your feet. And, you know, and I, I, that kind of a myth, you, you, what you had for dessert was amazing because we all care a lot about that. So, so like th that idea that your life looks amazing, mine doesn't because yours is filtered and mine isn't, right? And we'll even do that with families. We'll look at each other's families and we'll be like, oh, look at them. They're all smiling. They're all happy. That's not the way that that works, right? I, I, I tell you what's going to happen. Later on today, Heidi, every year for Mother's Day, pulls the I want a family picture mom card out. And so she'll pull that out today and she'll want a family picture. And that family picture will go up on social media. You can find it later on today. And we all will be smiling and look like we love each other. And, and what will have happened three seconds before that picture was taken is I will have been screaming at the family, stop it, quit touching your brother, knock it off, just get it over with, it's Mother's Day. <laughs> right, that's the way it's going to work. So you just know that when you see that picture, there's a whole backstory to it, right? It's usually dad being tense about it. But that's a filtered life myth. We'll look and say, oh, look, the Bogues are so happy. No, they're not. We hate each other, right? And so that, that's, that's what's going on with the, with the whole thing. But we'll compare... And, and the point Ryan was driving at was, man, when we do that, we miss the right now. When we're always comparing, we miss the wonder of what we have. When we're longing for the past, we miss the wonder of the present. When we're longing for the future, we're missing what God's accomplishing in our life right now. And if we could lock into right now, and if we could remember that God, God has me where I am on purpose, doesn't mean I'm going to be there forever, but it means right now. In God's design and order of our lives, where He has me right now, He has me there on purpose. And when I'm where I'm at right now, it's in part because God wants to do something in me right now. The Apostle James talks about that, says God wants to mature us and complete us. That's even why we go through hard times. So God wants to accomplish something in me right now, and that's part of why God has me there. And then Ryan said, don't, don't, also don't forget that God wants to do something through you right now, that you're, you're never in your right now by yourself. 
There's always other people in your right now with you. And God has placed them there with you in part so that you can be used by him to do something in there right now, that you can influence them. Paul calls it being an ambassador of Jesus Christ, salt, light, all those kind of things. Like, I can do that right now. So when I'm longing for the future, I'm longing for the past, or I'm comparing myself in the present, I miss the right now. God wants to do something in me, through me, and he has me here on purpose to accomplish something that glorifies him in my right now. So we're having that conversation. Like I said, it's going to kind of hang out the, uh, through the summer semester with this thought. Emotionally, stage of life, all that kind of stuff. How do I lock on to that right now idea? Now, this weekend, because of Mother's Day, we're going to talk about parenting, right? So we're going we're gonna to take the occasion of Mother's Day to really lock into, as a parent, God has me there right now. What does He want me to do? Now, if you're not a parent, on this Mother's Day, this, you're, you're going to do the translation math on this, okay? So if you are anybody that anyone looks up to, you need to translate this conversation into that relationship. So you're a friend, you're a roommate, you're a big brother, a big sister, you're an aunt, you're an uncle, you're a captain on the team. Whatever it is, if anybody looks up to you, take these concepts and kind of flip them over into that. But because it's Mother's Day, I'm going to use all kind of Mother's Day context and parenting illustrations to walk us through this principle. So you can just flip it over if you want. Okay, so as a parent, how does God work in me right now? What does He have me doing right now? And how am I to lock onto this? I, I remember when Heidi and I first got married, I didn't want kids. I didn't want kids. That's why we have six of them. I obviously lost that argument, but I didn't want kids. And one of the biggest reasons why I didn't want kids is because I realized that once you become a parent, you're a parent forever. Like you cannot get out of it. You cannot eBay your kids. I know I tried. The FBI got upset with me. But, but like you, you, are, you are locked into that idea. And when you become a parent, you are a parent until the, the day you die. And even after your death, you still parent your kids. Uh, my mom and dad have been, uh, my dad's been gone nine years, my mom's been gone eight years. They still parent me. I still remember, I still hear them, I, I still do things the way that they taught me to do it. And I just realized the, the magnitude of that responsibility when you become a mom or a dad. I remember when our, our first child was born, uh, you know, Heidi had the baby and we're, we spent a couple of days in the hospital, we're leaving the hospital and they kind of wheel her out and she's got the baby and I go get the car and pull it around and, and she hands me the baby and she's like, put him in his car seat. And I remember at that moment, when she handed me the baby, I, I remember profoundly thinking, so this, this is like it? Like there's no, there's no like certificate or license or permit or anything? Like you just go home with this human being and you're supposed to know what to do with them and you, you don't. And that's the way that parenting is. Every parent is a rookie with every kid at every stage of their life. We've never been there before. And if you, are a, if you had your first kid or you're about ready to have a kid, you will study up on that, man. You will read every book and find out all the hot things and you will do it. We did that for our first kid. He got organic baby food and cloth diapers and all that kind of stuff. By your sixth kid, you just don't care anymore, really. And, and so we just kind of put him on the floor and he and the dog would eat and he survived. And so it was, it was fine, you know. And it's just kind of the way that it works, right? And now we're at the stage of parenting where we we have, we have four teenagers in our home and then two of our kids are in elementary and y your teenager will look at you sometimes like they'll look at you like you have no idea what you're doing right and I'll look back and I'm thinking on the inside you are absolutely right <laughs> about that like I have no idea what to do with you right now so shut up and go to your room and so so it's right but but it's that it's that thing like it's scary and it's intense and and yet it's God-given and God-entrusted, and He wants me to do something with this, and I don't always know how. So what happens as a parent, you got to avoid these myths, because you can think, man, if our, when the nest is empty, or when the kids were little, or look how happy that Bogue family is on that picture they took this afternoon, right? And, and we can start comparing, and we miss the wonder and the joy and the fun of parenting right now. So what does God want from us, right? What, what's the deal? What's He want from us? And what's kind of the, the biblical charge for parenting? I wrote it this way in my notes. As a parent, right, as a Christ follower, as a parent, 
uh, my role before the Lord is to lead my kids to an environment that best presents them with the opportunity to take root in Christ. That's my job as a parent. Uh, My job is to lead my kids to an environment that best presents them with the opportunity to take root in Christ. Now, whether or not they take root in Christ is their business, right? So my role is not to shove Jesus down their throat. My role is not to make all their decisions for them. My role is not to control them. That will backfire on you every time. My role is to lead them through my life, through my teaching, through my example, through my actions, through my investments, right, as a mom, as a dad, to lead them to the environment that, that when, if they choose, they can put their roots down and they can take root in Christ, but I've got to show them what that environment is and show them how to get there. I want to camp out in the book of Jeremiah here this weekend. So if you got your Bibles, open them up to Jeremiah chapter 17. It's in the first part of the Bible. Uh, If you want to use the Bible in the chairs, it's page 537 in those Bibles. Or everything's on the Grace Church app. If you want to go out the app store and grab that, the verses, you take notes there and everything right there. Jeremiah chapter 17 So this is what's happening in this part of the Bible. Jeremiah was a prophet. And in the the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, what happened a lot in in this part of the Bible is God would speak to these men called the prophets. And then the prophets would tell, especially the nation of Israel, what God said. Okay? So that's what's happening here. God spoke to Jeremiah. Jeremiah passes that on to the nation of Israel. So Jeremiah is talking to Israel. We're going to look at what he said to them and draw lessons and conclusions out of it for our life. Verse 5, chapter 17 of Jeremiah, he says, this is what the Lord says, curse is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wasteland. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in, a parch, in parched places of the desert in salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in the year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. So Jeremiah is telling everybody, hey guys, listen, there's a couple of paths to pick here. We're going to call them environments. There's a couple of environments that you can go to. And cursed is the environment that you go to where your heart is not in sync with the heart of God, right? It's a spiritual thing. So you're going to be cursed spiritually or turned away from God spiritually if you go and you put down your roots in that environment. But there's an environment that's an environment of blessing. And if you go to the stream of life and you put your roots down by that, that is going to nourish you and feed you throughout your life. And so there's these two environments and you get to choose. And for the sake of our conversation and parenting, we get to lead to the environments. This is what one environment looks like. This is what the other environment looks like through my example, through my teaching, through my life. I want to express to my children. I want to show them. I want to illustrate to them the benefits of this environment that's by the stream of blessing, all right? So let's pick this apart a little bit and dig at it. Look at verse 5. Look at what Jeremiah says to the folks. He says, listen, here it is. It's what the Lord says. Curse is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from God. So curse is the one who trusts in man. What's it mean to trust in man? What Jeremiah is talking about here to these folks and through the Scripture to us is this. When I trust in man, what I'm doing is I'm trusting in whatever the cultural norms are of the day. So this is an ancient text, you know, many thousands of years old. So their cultural norms would have been things like worship the king, uh, worship this idol, those kinds of things would have been the cultural. Everybody knows that that's what you do. 
Uh, in our culture, we would have different cultural norms. In any place you go on the planet, there's a cultural norm. So there's nothing necessarily better or worse about our culture. It just kind of is. But as a parent, when you have children, you walk into these cultural norms and you are going to be told to, to value this culture. If you're about ready to have your first child or you just had a baby, as a mom or dad, you're going to be shocked at the social pressure on you to parent a certain way. And, and what's funny is before you have kids, you don't even know this pressure exists, right? You just think all these parents are weird, right? And, you, and your mom was weird. And so you, that's what you think. But when you have a child now and you're responsible for this human being and you don't know what to do with them, you're going to be shocked that there is this social pressure that you should uh, operate a certain way. And what the scripture says is be careful, it's a warning, don't put your trust in man. Don't draw what you do and why you do and how you lead your family from this social pressure. I call this earthly logic. There's an earthly logic. There's all kinds of people in parenting that are going to look at you and say, if you don't do this, then you're not a good parent and your kids aren't going to turn out right. So you must, everybody knows, all the experts say, all the research tells us that if you don't do this, that, that your kid isn't going to turn out right. So let me give you an example of this. For instance, a, a big example of this is academics. You, your kid better excel academically. And if they don't excel academically, if they don't make the honor roll and they don't graduate with some kind of cord hanging around their neck, then they, then they won't get into the right college. If they, won't, they don't get into the right college, they won't get into the right grad school program. If they don't get into the right grad school program, then they won't have the right job. If they don't have the right job, then they'll, 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 they'll do crack cocaine. I mean, that, that's kind of logic. So you, you put all this pressure, you, you have to excel. And the teacher said, and this program is, and we have to compete. And if you don't have this, you will not be a healthy, successful human being if you do not take this path. So as a parent, suddenly I feel pressure to have my kids succeed at that path. And I'm not talking about flunking or passing a class. I'm talking about excelling and making that academic pursuit the king of all pursuits. It's what you must do if you want your kid to be successful. Another example of this would be a sports. Sports is massive. Right? You're going to feel a pressure to play, for your kids to play sports because if your kids don't play sports, all the research says if your kids aren't in positive activities, all the research, if they don't have adults in their life, everybody knows that your kid, in order to be well-rounded, your kids have to play some kind of sports. So they got to play soccer, they got to play baseball, they got to play lacrosse, they got to play field hockey, they got to play frisbee, they got to play, or, well, my kids, well, then they got to go to dance class, they got to go to band class, they go to science camp, they got to go to art camp, they got to they gotta go to soccer camp, they got to go to basketball camp, they got to go to a camp to learn how to camp. They, they, have, they have to. Or they're not, they're not going to succeed in life. They're not going to be a well. They'll probably be a serial killer. Like, so you have to do this kind of stuff. And you're going to feel this pressure that they got to play sports. And not just for fun. They got to excel. They got to be the best. They got to have a personal trainer. They got to have all the right equipment. You have to travel. You have to. Right? They, you have to. And, and you're going to feel this pressure to do this as a parent. So Jeremiah is leaning into us in our context of conversation and saying, listen, careful with that. Curse is the one who puts their trust in man, who, who looks at earthly logic and says the same logic that drives everybody else in the culture is the logic that's going to drive me. The same outcomes, the same norms that drives everybody else in the culture because the, the moms, moms know they're going to know, mom, that they know whose kid is doing best in school and whose kid is starting and who's not, and careful. And God says, you, you buy into that earthly logic, there's a result out of that, right? So be careful of it. So Jeremiah says, so curse is the one who trusts in man. And then he goes on, second part of the verse, and he says, who draws strength from mere flesh. Isn't that fascinating how he says that? Trust in man and who draws strength from mere flesh. Flesh, what, what does that mean? Mere, drawing strength from mere flesh means this. 
means that as I buy into earthly logic and the logic of, of earthly things becomes the logic of my parenting and leadership, I then draw strength from your approval of my buy-in. So I draw my strength. I feel successful if you feel that I'm successful. And that's what I weigh myself against. And there's a huge pressure with that. If all the moms say that I'm being a good mom, I feel like a good mom, I'm in. I'm super mom. I'm super sports mom. I get them all practice, right? And my kids wear all the clothes and their uniforms clean every time. And they find their shin guards every time. And I, am, I brought the best snacks. My snacks probably contributed to the championship game, right? I always have Capri Suns and, and extras, extras to share with the young. I am super sack mom. That's who I am. And everybody tells me that. I get the pat on the back because your kid's in the honor society. Your kid's in the honor society of the honor society for the society that honors honor society societies. Man, you are really… How did you raise a kid like that? That's amazing. Your kid starts… That, that play… Is that your boy out there? That's my boy. Man, that's incredible. Did you teach it? Man, your kid's amazing. When I ring the cowbell, I do it for your kid, <laughs> right? And, and suddenly what happens is that I'm drawing strength because you approve of what I'm doing and I'm getting cred because I produce this kid that's winning in these things that the culture tells me they're supposed to win at. And Jeremiah says, careful, ooh, Careful that we put our trust in men. Careful that we draw strength from mere flesh. Because what can happen is our heart can turn away from the Lord. I, I can have a, a child that, that win, they win high school. Man, they win it. They got all the awards and their plaque is, their wall is filled with plaques and their coat is full of patches and they won it. But do they, do they know anything about the Lord? Do they know anything about the heart and the mind of God? Do they, do they have any moral foundation, any spiritual foundation? When, when they get out of high school and into real life and, and they're facing a crisis in their marriage, is their fastball going to help them? See, I, I want to be careful because I, I've, they've gained the whole world but I never taught them to value their soul. First John chapter 2 talks about this. It's a warning. It says, God says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of the Father lives forever. It is as a parent if what I'm reinforcing is a love of the world, right, a, 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 lust, a lust of the flesh, you got to win at high school. You, you got to win at, at gaining everybody's approval. The lust of the eyes. See, you got you to be homecoming queen. You got to be pretty. Maybe you should drop a little weight. What's in style? My kid has all the name brands, right? The pride of life, you succeed, and when you succeed, I succeed, and I feel good. And, and the writer's saying, listen, when, when, when you have a love of the world, it will displace a love for Christ. And the lust of the eyes, the lust of flesh, pride of life, they will not sustain you, see. That's the problem. You know, you know what happens? You, you can win high school, man. You'd be the most popular kid in high school. The minute you get your diploma, it's all, all gone. And if you get your diploma, you're the most popular kid in high school, it's all gone. If you come back the next year, you're creepy. There's a guy that can't get over high school. You're like, I've been out three months. Yeah, you're a creep. Right? It's weird. But as a parent, what am I doing? Because some of us are in our 50s and still trying to win high school. What, what am I doing? What am I leading you toward? What am I reinforcing with you? And I, am I taking you to an environment 
that is a life-giving environment. This is where Jeremiah, he, he throws out this huge red flag, verse 6. He says this, man, when you, when you trust the world and mere flesh and your heart turns away from the Lord, this is what happens. People who do that, that person will be like a bush in the wasteland. They will not see prosperity when it comes, and they will dwell in, a, in the parched places in the desert in a salt land where nobody lives. They will, they will root themselves in a dead zone. They, they will have all these things, but these things are not life-giving. This, this idea that I, I'm going to succeed, I'm going to be young forever, I'm going to be successful, I'm a jock, I'm going to, all that stuff, it's not going to give life. When it is the, the top of the list of pursuits, I'm going to root myself to something that will kill my soul. Think of it this way. When, when I'm parenting my kids, I, I have these two environments. One environment is rich. It will nourish the soul. I'm locking into the, the stream of life. I, I'm locking into things that will build me spiritually, emotionally, even morally, if you want to say that, but I lock my roots into something. The other environment is a salt land. It, it, it's, it will not conduct anything nutritious. It's there, you can, you can kind of go to it, but eventually it will poison the soul and kill you out. And as a, as a parent, I'm looking at my child and I'm saying, okay, what I'm interested in the most is the roots of my child. This stuff up here, it's all fine. Play sports, do good in school, be homecoming queen. Who cares? But the roots is what I care about because if these roots aren't locked in, and my children, when they're little, when they're in high school, even when they're my children, they don't always understand this. They think life is lived up here. And it's not. Life is lived down here. And as a parent, what I do is, is I lead my kids through example, through teaching, through my own investment, to an environment that gives life. And if I take them to a salty environment, and they, pour their, they put their roots in this salty environment, it will kill them. Every conversation's about how to have a better fastball. Every conversation's about who's popular and who said what, and I can't believe it. How dumb the teacher is, and I agree with them. Every conversation is this, this salty conversation of temporal things. Let's the eyes, let's the flesh, or pride of life. And when I invest in them and when I give to them, this is kind of all I give to them, right? And, and I've taught them, if you want to win at life, you got to win the way that everybody says you're supposed to win because that's how mom wins. Mom wants to be popular with her friends like you do. Dad wants to be number one on his team at work like you want to be on your football team. Mom and dad pursue these things and care about these things. That's what my kids are going to care about. And even our conversations are rooted in that. So you come home from school, how was school? Good. How was class? Good. How did you do your test? Good. How was practice? Good. How was lunch? Good. Right? And no deeper conversations. Hey, that kid that was giving you a hard time, what happened there? Everybody hates that kid. Do you love him as Christ does? What about your kid, that teacher, the one who doesn't know what they're doing and you don't even know how they got a teaching degree, that one? Are you, are you merciful to that teacher? Respectful? Pray for them? That girl that's hot? Are you loving her as a sister in Christ? Dad, that's creepy. Right now. <laughs> Do you care about more than her body? What about her heart? What about your relationship with your girlfriend? Hey, hey, sweetheart, when we go on vacation, young child, you know, let's pop by Disney World. That's fine. What if we also expose you to things that you might be afraid of? What if we learn to love people in the inner city instead of being paranoid about them? What if we get a passion for the world and not just a passion for ourselves? What if you watch mom and dad say no to things in their life so they can invest in things that are eternal? 
What if the church, the eternal work of the church of Jesus Christ becomes the hub of our family instead of the sports league or the school system? Because those things pass away. It's not that they're worthless. It's not that they're dumb. It's not that they're wrong. It's that if I, if I root myself in those things, they're out of place, see, and they won't give life because they won't last forever. Your kid isn't going to play pro sports. They're not. I've seen your kid. They're not going to. Your kid isn't going to be a rocket scientist. Well, they might be. Maybe. Maybe. Probably not. Right? And what are they going to need in life? Is calculus going to help them know how to navigate parenting when they're a kid, when they're a parent? Or are they going to do what you did? See? It is, is good technique and kicking the soccer ball going to bring life to them when their dreams crash in and they don't achieve what they hope that they would achieve? Or are they going to face adversity the way they watch you face adversity? What environment am I going to lead them to? And how am I going to show them how to put their roots down. Now, Jeremiah goes on and he says, there's an alternative to this salt land that's going to rob you of life. And, and the alternative is a blessed life. So, he says in verse 7 of chapter 17, he says, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. Isn't that a fascinating sentence? Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him, in the Lord. So, blessed is the one who trusts. So, here in this day and age, we would say, blessed is the one who trusts the Scripture or trusts what God says to us through the Bible. The Bible has all kinds of things to say about who we should be and who we should teach our kids to be. All kinds of things to say about good morals, godly character. There's very few to-do lists in the Bible. The Bible never says do or don't play soccer, do or don't do dance class, do or, do, do or don't play get straight A's. It never says that at all. What the Bible says is underneath underneath what's on the surface are the roots. And blessed is the one who trusts that what God says to root yourself to is the thing you should root yourself to. And then the person who has confidence in him, person who instead of trusting man and drawing approval from flesh, the person who trusts God and draws approval from him. So I'm going to see what the Bible says. I'm going to trust it. And then I'm actually going to make parenting decisions confidently that lead my family toward that environment so they can lock their roots in. It doesn't really matter what they're doing. It matters what they're rooted to. Now, here's what happens. In every culture, in every square inch of the planet, for all of time, right? So there's nothing unique about us. It's just the way that it works. Every culture that is a humanly driven culture instead of a Christ-driven culture Every one of those cultures, to be a Christ follower that trusts in the Lord, has confidence in the Lord, you are going to have to stand against the grain of that culture. It's just the way it works. It doesn't mean you got to be a jerk about it. It just means you're not going to fit in well because you're going to trust what the Bible says and you're going to confidently lead your family toward the environments that the Bible says is, is best for them. And it's going to cause you to make different decisions than everybody else in your culture might make right? Let me give you an example of this, a couple of these things that Heidi and I have decided over the years. So, when we first had kids and kids were little, uh, we lived out in Wadsworth. Wadsworth? And so, we, we lived out there. And uh, in Wadsworth, I think it's actually like a city ordinance that every child has to play soccer in Wadsworth. It's crazy. And so, soccer was this huge, huge thing. So, we have little kids. We're trying to figure out how to parent. We've never parented before. We read all the books. We weren't sure what to do. And so, we start looking at what all the other parents are doing. That's how it works, right? It's no big deal. And so, we're looking around. Everybody's playing soccer. We're like, we better play soccer. We better play soccer. Or our kids won't be adjusted well, and they'll grow up to be serial killers that do crack cocaine or cheer for Michigan or something horrible will happen in their life. And so we sign all the kids up for soccer. We got to have six kids. So before we know it, we're at the soccer field six days a week, and then some of the boys were getting older that they were starting to travel and soccer. 
And so now on Sundays, we're driving somewhere to go play soccer somewhere. And it is just dominating our life. So I came home one day, and I was exhausted. Heidi, of course, is exhausted. The kids are exhausted. And I pull in the driveway and say, let's go to soccer. All the kids melted down at once. They're like, no, please, we don't want to go to soccer. We want to play with each other, and we want to go swimming in the pond with you, Dad. We want to be with each other, and we want to be with our father. And I looked at them and said, no, we have soccer practice, and the coaches will be really mad if we don't show up to soccer practice. Get your shin guards on. I don't know where they are. Why don't you put them in the same place? I don't know where to find them. I built you cubbies for a reason. I, he took my cleats. I hate my And on and on and on. So everybody's miserable. This big nuclear explosion happens in the minivan on the way to soccer, right? We get to soccer. Get out there and play soccer, right? So they go out there and they play soccer. And I'm watching them play soccer. And I hate my life. And they hate their life. And Heidi's at home enjoying herself somehow. And so here we are, right? And I'm like, this is insane. It's insane. They hate playing soccer. I hate them playing soccer. Heidi hates them playing soccer. Why are we doing this? We were doing it because everybody was doing it. We didn't know any better. And I came home that night, and Heidi is like, they hate soccer. I'm like, they hate soccer. And we were like, we hate soccer, right? And we're like, we're done. We're done with soccer. All oh, the coaches were so upset. Your, co- your, your kids are half Brazilian. <laughs> they, they were our ticket. We were going to win the five-year-old soccer championship. It was going to change their lives. And, and so we looked and said, we're, we are done. We are done. And so we pulled our kids out of soccer. Everybody got upset. The neighborhood panicked. The bugs, what next? Homeschooling? Right? So they're just, they're all freaking out with us, right? But we're like, we're done. Why? Because I look at the Bible, and the Bible says that their relationship with each other and their relationship with their parents is more important than their relationship with any other adult. I trust in God. And then Heidi and I kind of confidently made a decision. You know what? Let's bank on that. I think it's more important because when they're 35, they're not going to know their coach. When they're 35, they're going to know their dad. When mom and dad are dead, they're not going to hang out with their teammates. They're going to be with each other. See, we got all that from the book. Confidently made that decision. Now, listen, it's not about sports. Our kids play sports. We spend a lot of time at sports games. What we just said was this. When our kids ask to play sports and they're passionate about a sport, we'll go go into that with you. So we watch a lot of sports. It's fun. It's a blast. We enjoy it. We enjoy the parents. We're grateful for the coaches. And our kids are loving it and they're self-motivated by it. It's great. But then we start making other sports decisions. You know, your kid's really good. Yeah, he's really good. You must be proud. I'm proud of him for a lot of reasons, but thank you. You should send him to camps. You should go to camp. You should go to a professional camp. You should sell a kidney and send your kid to camp. And I'll talk to my kid, and my kid might look at me and say, Dad, I want to go to Mexico and work with the, the kids down there. I want to go to inner city Philadelphia. I don't want to go to basketball camp. I want to be in inner city Philadelphia. I wanna... And Heidi and I are going to look and say, you know what? We love sports. It's a great thing. We're we're happy they're involved, but we also love that they see that there's a limit to their value. That we want to do these other things that are kingdom-minded and we'll chew up our summer instead of camps and can we do this instead? And we look and say, you know what, son, I'm proud of you for that. Proud of you for that. You do that. And then when sports comes, we'll fire back into sports. It'll be fun. It's all in its place. A couple uh, years ago, one of our sons came to us, and he was a really good student and uh, was on the honor rolls and had cords when he graduated and all those kind of things. And he came to us and said, Mom, Dad, hey, I, there's this thing, this project that I want to do with the church, kind of build this thing out at the church. Are you excited about that? We said, oh, we're real excited about that, son. We're proud of you for doing that. And he said, hey, if, if I do it, I probably am not going to have straight A's like I normally do. 
Are you going to be okay if I bring home a C plus? Maybe don't make the honor roll. And we said, you know what, so we're fine with that. We're fine with that. You got to pass your classes. We're fine with a C plus. If you want to take your time and build it into the, the church, Jesus' church in the kingdom of God, and you get a C plus instead of an A plus, pretty sure the world will continue to spend on its access. I'm pretty sure you will still be successful in life. Because those relationships are important. That investment's important, right? See how it works? So we, we look at the thing, and, and you could fill in a thousand blanks. Those are just a couple. And by the way, Heidi and I are not the best parents ever in the history of humanity. Ask the kids, they'll tell you, right? But it's, it's a couple of examples. When we looked and said, wait a minute, the, everybody says this, God says this, we're going to make some decisions that cut against this logic. Right? And you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't, don't think like that. But you have to make sure that the environment is correct. Because what they do above the surface is usually not the issue. It's usually what they are rooted to. And look what Jeremiah says. He says this. He says, when, when, you, when they make these decisions go this way, verse 8, they will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream, the, the, the river of life, the name for God. That tree does not fear when the heat comes. Isn't that fascinating? Listen, does, is the heat going to come? Anybody here a grown-up? Is the heat going to come? Oh, the heat's going to come. That's the way life works. No big deal. This is the way it works. When the heat comes, is there a curveball going to sustain them? Is their tap dance ability going to sustain them? Or do they have to have more? So this tree by the stream, it doesn't fear when the heat comes. Why? Because it's, it's locked on to something. Then the passage goes on, its leaves are always green. There's always life in that tree. It's not in the salt. It's in something that gives life. There's always life in that tree. It doesn't matter. They, they might be the rocket scientists. Maybe your kid is the next LeBron James. Let me know. I want to teach him a tithe. All right, so, so <laughs> maybe your kid's a different kid, right? But it doesn't matter. They, they have to have life, no matter where God takes them in their life. That tree has no worries in the year of drought. You're going to have a year of drought? You're going to have a dream not come true? You're going to have an expectation break? You're going to have a rough patch in your marriage? Sure you are. Are, are their kids going to malfunction like your kids do? Sure they are. But they're going to have no worries, and they're never going to fail to bear good fruit. This is what happens, guys. I'll show you this. What happens, Heidi and I have done this. You do it. We still struggle with this sometimes. We, we get caught up in whatever's going on in life. It's just the way it is. It's no big deal. And sometimes by accident, we, we, we lead our kids to the salt. We get busy with things that aren't important. All the stuff that you do. And, and we, we, pull, we look at our kids, we look under, we're like, man, they're full of salt. The, the things they're valuing or the things we're valuing as a family right now, these are not life-giving things. Why are we doing this? This happens to us probably once a year. And this is what God says. God uses all these metaphors in the Bible. It's really, really cool. He says things like this. He can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Uh, he says, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. God resurrects things that are dead and makes them have life. So what happens is this. When, when I look at my kids, I'm like, oh, man, their roots are covered with salt, things that are not important. They bought into earthly logic. I might have led them there. The great thing about God is this, that when I pull those roots out, when I stop it, reorient, reprioritize, pull them out, and I take those roots back to the Lord and cleanse them. Lord, we, we apologize. Lord, we're going to shift. Lord, we're going to change priorities. God can pull all of that right out of our family's life again. He can make us something new. He can let us reprioritize. He can let us reboot. As a mom and a dad, you're going to do this probably quarterly. Why are we doing this? Why did we… Why am I working like this? Why did I take the second job? Why do we care so much about it? We should move. If we do, you got to go back to work. Why? The kids are at the wrong phase of life. Why are we doing this? We need to relook at their education op opportunities. We need to relook at. Just, 
Just cleanse it out. And then as a mom and dad, what I do is I, I care about the roots. You can keep playing sports, bud, but we're going to keep it in perspective. Get good grades if that's your thing, but let's keep it in perspective. Life's not over if you bring home a B plus. And I'm going to take you, and I'm going to take you to the good soil. And we're going to fill that up. We're going to make the church a priority. We're going to make loving people a priority. We're going to ask a different set of questions. We're going to root you in something that will sustain you for life. And you're going to be like a tree by the stream. Because my job as a parent is not to have you win high school. My job as a parent is to help you get roots because the drought is coming. It's the way life works. And you're going to have to hold on to something. And if it's not the Lord... Right now, that's what God has you doing as a mom and a dad. That's your job, right? Your job is not to make your kids godly. You can't do that. Your job is not to make them embrace the faith. You can't do that. It will backfire on you. Your job is not to control them. Your job is not to get them through school. Your job is not to help them be a starter. Your job is not to make sure that they have designer clothes, your job is to take them to an environment through your life, your teaching, and your example, your life investment. And in that, you teach them the value of that. And this is, this is the thing with parenting. I, I don't care if you're a young parent or if you're an old parent. Once you become a parent, you do it forever. See? Because when I hit the times of drought in my life, I often think, what'd my old man do? When his life didn't go, the, when he was 48 years old and had a stroke and his life forever changed, what did he do? I've never thrown a ball with my father, ever. He couldn't do it physically. But when I think about the tough times in my life, I think, you know what dad did? He went to his roots I remember that when his life blew up, his faith did not. I remember that when mom and dad lost their dreams, they did not lose their love for Jesus. They just rebooted and represent, represented in a different way. I remember what mom did. When, when all of a sudden everything that they had positioned and dreamed for, now she's got to go. Mom was an old-fashioned stay-at-home mom is, what, is how she functioned. All of a sudden, she's got kids to raise and to provide for. I remember, she just put her head down, went to work, never complained about it. The Lord's faithful. The Lord will provide. But we don't have enough money. We should pray about that. She took us to the roots. And Heidi's mom, Heidi's mom married a guy she couldn't even speak the same language he spoke moved her to a different continent, right? And what do you remember? We, we all laugh when she would say word, the wrong word for something. You know, we all have mom-isms that we would tease her about. But what do we remember? We remember this character. We remember her praying. We remember her passion for down and out people. We remember her life investments. See how that worked? It's the roots and they, they led us to a soil. And whether we took root there or not was our, our issue. You can't make your, your kids have your faith. But you can show them, see, what to anchor their life to. Okay? That's the way it works. It's not a formula for perfect kids. There is no formula for perfect kids. If somebody tells you that there is, they're lying. Because if I read the book correctly, we have the perfect heavenly father and he has the most rebellious children. It's a paradigm for life investment. And it's why God has you where he has you right now. Okay? So moms, we got you a present. It's a little 
present here. We got you a, a sapling of a tree. And uh, we just wanted to give you this. And, and the idea is this. We want you to take this with your kids and plant it and watch it grow to remember this is what you're doing. Heidi and I have done this when the kids were born. We would plant a tree to honor them, right, to commemorate their birth and watch it grow. But we've moved a few times, so now it's a little creepy when we go back to the, like, what are you doing in our yard? And, but once the police leave, it kind of calms down. And so but we've kind of done that because it's, fa it's, it's a fascinating thing to watch happen. So if you have a little kid, they'll have a blast planting this with you. If you have older kids, you need to make them go out and plant this with you and give you a hug and a kiss. And you need to put it all on social media so that we can mock them later on. And if, you have, if you're a mother or grandmother of like adult children, really make them go out there, dig the whole, the whole nine yards and act like they're six years old again, even though they're 46 and it's a blast. But it's just a little thing that just remember, right? To kind of put in your, in your yard and in your pocket to remember this is what you do. You're not you're not their maid, right? You tell them that all the time. You're not their short order cook. You tell them that all the time. What are you? See, you're their guide. You're guiding them to the good soil. You're showing them. And how you show them, how you lead them will literally last their lifetime. After you're gone, you'll still be mothering, you'll still be parenting, right? I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to just pray a, a special blessing on all of our moms here. And then the band will come out and we'll continue with our service, all right? Jesus, we love you. We thank you. And God, we do want to pray a blessing over our mothers. And Lord, we don't, it's not a cliche. It's not an obligation. It's a high calling. And Lord, we want to respect that and honor that and empower that as a church family in every way that we possibly can. It, it's, it's fun to tease and laugh a little bit, but Lord, when we get serious and, and look deep, the, the mark that our mothers have on us is eternal and is for all of life. It's a spiritual relationship that you ordained before the foundations of the earth were laid. You decided who would be our mom, and you decided who would be their, chi their child. So God, it's a bond that you create and that we honor and we respect and we value and we need. So God, empower every mother. Give her the courage to trust you and have confidence in you. Give her the joy that, that comes from you, Lord, in, in the, the crazy times of having young kids, the confusing times of having older kids, the scary times of having kids that are out of our control. Lord, help them to be women of God, women of prayer, women of the Word. Pray for all of us who have lost our moms, Lord. So we feel that on a, a day like today. So we pray comfort and gratitude. God, a comfort for us. Lord, I pray for all those who desperately want to be moms and aren't able to do that. Lord, the this, this same, that you would comfort, that you would help, that you would guide. And Lord, that you would bless in a special way. And all this, God, we're grateful for you. We're grateful for your guidance, your help, and your love. In your name, Jesus, amen.